the woman of the well. A new start for the Samaritan woman. And we're going to get into the story in just a minute. Do you like a, a new start? Do you like that sense of freshness that comes with a new, a new job? A new house to live in? Uh, Penny and I, last not this last week, but the week before, we were in Bristol helping our daughter, our son-in-law, and our granddaughter move house. I, it's with over a week since we got back, there are still parts of my body that are in pain. Muscles and joints from lifting up furniture and boxes and things that all week um, show my age. But it's so exciting for them to have a new start in their new home. And it feels especially good to have a new start when you know you've been stuck and you're fed up with being stuck. And that's true personally, but it's also true, I think, of groups of people. And a desire for moving on, a desire for hope, for hope to be get unstuck is strong in us all. And it can lead us to good choices and it can lead us to bad choices when we get especially fed up with being stuck. And making good choices is a lot of what it's all about. Making a fresh start involves courage and faith and hope and you could say some risk. And I think that's relevant for us as a congregation as we think about new things that God might want to do here. So I'm, I'm hoping that from this story today, uh, we can learn some things that will help us personally and congregationally to make good choices when God presents something to us that's new. So we're going to start by catching up on the story here in John chapter 4. So you might want to have your Bible open to follow along. I'm not going to read this section, actually. Instead, I'm going to give you a clip from one of the episodes of The Chosen that focuses on this. So let's see if this works. And uh, let's watch this first. About seven minutes, I think. Can you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, but you. I've got a drink for me, for Nancy, and for the woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You must not say please to be alone, that's you. Nor you. I have to come with others. I'm isolating today. Don't women come to the west, in the pool of the morning? Yeah. Why don't you see me? No story. I still like a drink of water to this day. You say what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about the women, but I don't. Yeah? What do you say? I say if you know who I am, you'll be asking me for it. Really? And I don't give you living water. Good. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this isn't deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. The Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. That's not what I said. Are you better than our sister Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him 
will never be tested again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Good. First, go and call your husband and then come back. I will show you what's happening. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Sir, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God so I couldn't thank Him even if I didn't. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worship he's looking for. It don't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Then tell us how it comes. It explains everything. And so much does matter, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. <coughs> this Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Somalia just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm here in the middle of the day? <laughs> I'm rejected by your words. I know. Not by the Messiah. Has all these things because you are the past? Mm -hmm. 
I was guarding that. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. You want me to the temple? So, just that. I promise. Thanks, Devin. My goodness. My goodness. Uh, what a powerful encounter. Eh? Powerful. Powerful encounter. Um, they allude in the clip there to the background between Jews and Samaritans. What is the issue? Do we know? Anybody know? What's the chat? What's the issue between Jewish people of the day and the Samaritan people of the day like her? Perceived, Perceived as unclean. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Take back to the split between Israel and the Northern and the Southern Kingdom and Samaritans separate their own sort of worship system separate from Jerusalem. Yeah, dates back to the time when North and South of Israel split, <laughs> North Kingdom, Southern Kingdom, and in the North they could set up their own place of worship. And and morphed rather with the other local religions and became a sort of a version of Judaism that the people in the South who consider themselves to be true Jews then would not recognize that as an authentic religion, in fact, as a heresy. And this goes back, this stuff goes back hundreds of years. It's not a recent uh, thing. Animosity, and there's more on the, uh, the extended version of the Watford word today. There's more notes in there. Um, what about some modern examples? Modern examples are where two groups of people would automatically believe that they didn't have anything in common, or they shouldn't even be talking, or hanging out together, or engaging with each other. What would you say today, in our society, or generally across the world? What would that be like, perhaps? Palestinians and the Jews. Perhaps the Palestinians and the Jews of today? Okay. Ukrainians. Ukrainians with Russians, possibly, yeah. North and South Koreans. North Korea and South Korea. That'd be challenging, wouldn't it? Uh, bring that together. Sudan. Yeah. Sudan. North, and North and South Sudan. Mm -hmm. Very challenging. Yeah. What about anybody else? Yeah, anything else? Any other ideas? So they, yeah, Stephen. <laughs> those who voted for Brexit, those who voted to remain, and those who regret whichever choice they made. <laughs> Another third group, perhaps. They're stuck in, Jews and Samaritans at that time are stuck in animosity. And what I would suggest is that this is a metaphor for the fact that we, without God, are stuck, separate from God. There's a lot going on here that's literal and real between Jesus and the woman, and there's a lot of symbolism in this passage. We don't have time to, to dig all of that out today. So I'd encourage you to go back through the passage 
And ask yourself, what is the writer, uh, uh, John, John of John's Gospel, what is he showing us, highlighting about this encounter that might reveal deeper meanings uh, for us today? So the new thing that Jesus does here in accepting her and not judging her is, in a sense, prophetic of what's going to happen to all peoples after the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes to bring in all people to the great harvest. So, let me ask you this. What is her current situation? What do we learn about her and her current situation from what we see in the passage, at least? We don't know everything, but we know a few things. Some things we can be sure of, some things we can infer, perhaps, but what do you see here? What do you think is her situation at this point? Apart from the fact that she's a Samaritan. All right, so what else about her situation? She's been in a lot of different relationships, and it appears that currently with the man she's with, it's an adulterous or a non-pure relationship of some kind. Okay, that seems to be at least the implication there. All right, what else do we know about her? Seven? It seems like at one stage she had a relationship with God, but she was Maybe she did have a relationship with God that was meaningful in the past. She certainly knows a bit about scripture and godly thinking in some ways, right? So she's got some background. Yeah. All right, what else? She has no self-worth. I beg your pardon? She has no self-worth. She lacks self-worth. Okay. Yeah. She's an outcast. She's an outcast. She doesn't fit. Right? Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah. She also sounds very frustrated. She sounds frustrated. Yeah. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to get out of her current situation. Whatever progress she wants to make, she feels stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa. Burdened. Burdened? Okay. Yeah. Comes across. Anything else? It's interesting that she highlights Messiah. That's a thing she brings up. So she has some hope or some idea that he could be the answer. Yeah. I think she's a bit angry. Angry? Yeah. Yeah. It's quite sarcastic. Yeah. You know, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. I think she's really ticked off. I, I think that's right. I mean, I think I get that feeling myself. She's angry indignant, could be a lot of reasons for that, maybe a little bitter, maybe, maybe. I mean, we've got to be careful about how much we speculate here, right? There's some things we know, some things we don't. She's hurting. Okay, that makes sense of the change in her, doesn't it? That change of, I'm out here on my own, and now I'm going to go back and tell the whole village. Something has been healed, right? Some hurt has been dealt with on some level. That's interesting. My response to what you just said, you got five husbands. She doesn't get into that, she goes straight into the <laughs> Okay. She doesn't want to engage with the personal, right? She says, uh, let's have a chat about theological theories. Yes. Right. She wants to avoid that on some, at least for a while. And then something shifts in her, doesn't it? Maybe it's because then she she senses Jesus' genuine concern for her and the possibility of real hope, real change, not, not a temporary or false, false hope. I think one of the things that's ex- extraordinary about a situation... Oh, no, actually, let me ask you this. So, okay, what changes during the dialogue between the two? They start out very surface. Can you give me some water? And then it goes deeper, and then she's transformed. So what actually changes during this conversation? She believes in him. She believes in him. Yeah. She doesn't... That, she changes. Because of the 
change in belief in him, that changes her. Okay. Well, not only did she realize that Jesus knew all about this, but I think the, the comment was that the, the Messiah accepts her. Accepts her. Right. Right. So he believes, or she believes, but she believes that she's accepted. Yeah. Not just in him as a, I, oh, not just identifying correctly he's the Messiah, but he, that this Messiah actually cares and accepts. Yeah. Okay. Anything else change, you think, in her? She already has that mental knowledge that the Messiah comes, everything will be explained to us. But then she has that realization connection that actually is right before. Is right there. Yeah. So that, that sort of scales falling from the eyes moment. Mm. Anything else? Changes. <coughs> David. It seems like she really on a journey of trying to define the solution and the problems and now she is an apology she has a second chance life. <laughs> she she realizes she has a second chance. Yeah. That's powerful regard. She wants to share with others. Immediately dashes off to share with others. Yeah, she changes. Something changes there. I think it's I mean again we're speculating a bit. But something very deep changes where it looks like she's ashamed to be around other people. That makes sense of why she's there on her own at noon, which is not the normal time you go to get water. Looks like she's avoiding people. And now she's going back into the village to engage with people in a very loud and prominent way. And, and I think in particular, there's a humility that she's gained here. I mean, not, I'm not saying she was proud before, but there's some kind of new kind of humility, a brave, courageous, I don't care what people think of me humility. And she goes back into the village and says, he told me everything I did. And you can imagine everybody saying, yeah, we know what you did too. Everybody knows what you did. But whereas before she might've been trying to hide that, now she's actually bringing it right out into the open. So something very deep changes in her to give her that kind of courage to do that. So I think one of the things that, G that she does, which is very interesting and insightful, is that she sees through his parables. You notice in this passage, he's using metaphors, effectively parables, talking about living water, talking about spirit and truth, talking about ideas. And she sees in that, as she glimpses the truth behind all of that stuff, that he is Messiah. When so many uh, very learned Jewish scholars didn't see that. They didn't see what was behind what he was teaching. Remember, you may not know, but in chapter 3, right before this, who's Jesus been talking to? Nicodemus. And who is Nicodemus? A teacher. Pharisee. Right? And he's called by Jesus as you are Israel's teacher, yet you do not understand these things. And the phrase used there is probably not you're one of the teachers. You are the teacher. It might be more implied that he was the head of all the teacher types in Israel. He might have been the head teacher type guy for all of the rabbi, all the, all the Pharisees. So he's the expert. And even he doesn't see it. And then after the bloke who's the expert, who is the Jew, doesn't get it, we go straight to a woman who's a Samaritan who has not been trained. She sees it. You see how, how this, this happens all the way through the Gospels. We get the people are supposed to see it don't, and the people that don't are supposed to see it because they have a different spirit, different heart. They get it. And I think it's a great comfort because not many of us are experts. And maybe that's a good thing in some way. But it's about having the right heart. 
So what do we learn about Jesus from this encounter? Let's switch from the woman for a minute over to thinking about Jesus. What do we learn about him from what's going on here around this well at noon, 30 minutes from now? Okay. Yeah. What's going to happen because he freeze saw it because that's why he went there, especially to see her. It seems likely. I mean, the chosen clip says that specifically. It doesn't say that specifically in the text. However, good point you make, because if you look at the geography, if you're going north-south in Israel, from Judea to Galilee, either north-south, you know, whichever way around, uh, you, you, you have to go through Samaria. But a pious Jew will not do that. They will take a long detour. They cross the Jordan and go up the other side and come back across the Jordan when they've got north of the area of Samaria because they don't want to defile themselves by going through Samaria. Jesus does not do that. He goes straight through, presumably because he wants to encounter Samaritans. Something very powerful there. So, Darren, you're going to say something. He knows about her past, but he doesn't use it against her. He knows about it, but he doesn't use it against her, as probably many people had. And she did perhaps hold it against herself too, maybe. What else do we learn about Jesus? Yeah. He's very, very determined, very intentional. He really wanted to get this, he wanted to get into her head. He was so yeah. He was determined. Yeah. He's quite pushy. Yeah. I mean, gently, right? But he is quite pushy. You know, in a way, he's patient too. How long he's been there? We don't know. I mean, almost certainly it was a lot longer than yeah. the, the, the video clip. Yeah, he's patient, takes the time. Remember, he's hungry because they've gone into town to get food, right? The, the disciples to bring it back because he hasn't got any food, so he's hungry. And about you, when I'm hungry, I am much less patient. <laughs> On top of that, he's thirsty because he's asking for a drink. Again, when I'm thirsty, a lot less patient. And he's tired, tired as he was. He sat down. So again, when I'm tired, I am a lot less patient. Penny's nodding over here, just so you know. She's agreeing. So she knows. But I mean, that's generally the case, right? His patience in that circumstance, when he's talking to somebody who shouldn't be talking to, who isn't getting it straight away, and, and he's hungry and tired and thirsty, it shows the compassion, doesn't it? Anything else we learn about Jesus from this? Josh? He's very personal. I mean, not just with the lady, but we can sort of look at it for ourselves as well. Jesus knows everything about this lady. He knows everything about us. Uh, and that is a key word. Everything. He knows everything about you and me. Oh, I mean, at one level, it's scary, right? It depends on your view of Jesus as to how scary that is. But he knows everything. Yeah. He's particularly doesn't say please. He doesn't say please. It's a reaction from her, uh, which he then apologizes, uh, which sort of gets her on to his side. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting exercise looking at how he actually conducts this whole conversation. Yeah, David. Oh, David first and then Lance? Yeah, I think it was his choice. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of intentionality going on here. 
which I do, do think speaks to us. We you know when Jesus, when Jesus, on, in some sense, enters our consciousness, you know, at whatever stage of life that is, or however that is, we become aware of, mm, you know, is there a God? And that's not random. You know, the things that draw us to Jesus aren't random. He's got, he's got a, he has a connection with each one of us. Lance, sorry. Well, I was going to say what just said, but I like the point where it says, not only because I came to Samaria to see you, but I also, um, I want, he's also said I was counting on this lady to spread the work. Um, that could he have done the other way? Of course he could have. There may have been a plan to see her there. But the fact is that he was looking to her to do, to, to, to do more in a sense that he could do by sharing the faith with the whole town. She, she did. had the connections. She did. She did. It is interesting. The disciples go into the town and don't do what she does. Now, sometimes I've heard it preached that look at those dumb disciples. They should have been doing what she did. I'm not sure that's fair on the disciples at that point. I may be, but I, I think it's more that Jesus knows and she herself knows she's able to carry a message into the village. The, the disciples wouldn't have the, the authenticity with it or the authority with it or the connection, right? So I think there's something powerful going on there. One of the things I love about the whole scene is that Jesus makes the uncomfortable person comfortable. She's definitely uncomfortable being around him because, she, you know, it's a woman and a man talking, which isn't done in that culture, Samaritan and a Jew. There's, there's a lot of tension in the air at the beginning, for sure. But he, he deals with that tension, with his love and compassion and patience. He talks to her not like a, a patriarchal bloke mansplaining something to a woman, right? He talks to her like an equal. There's a really beautiful kind of exchange going on here between them. We see that God believes in lost causes. I think she doesn't believe there's any hope for her. Let's think about wrapping this up before we take communion in a moment. What do we learn about ourselves? What stands out to you from this encounter that's relevant to your life, that make, makes sense to you, either in you, maybe in your walk with God, with Jesus, or in the way you live outwardly in the world? I mean, what, what are the things that we might want to even be thinking about as we leave here today, as we go away and we drive home and talk with somebody in the car, or as we go home and pray about what we've learned here? Let God cement it, you know, sink it down into our hearts. What We've learned a lot about the woman, I think. We've learned a lot about Jesus. But what is there for us to learn about ourselves, our behavior, our thinking? George? You know, it's all about us as well. He knows all about us, yes. In every detail. Every detail. Mm -hmm. He does. Okay, we have to reflect on that, maybe, as to what that means for us. Okay. What do we learn for ourselves? Yes. Yeah. Our past sins. Our past sins. Our past sins have been forgiven. If Jesus is going to accept her, it gives us confidence that we are accepted. Okay? That gives us confidence. Josh? I was going to say, do we have that same sort of emotion, you know, are we going out like the lady does, where she went out into the town and she prayed, well, I prayed, but, you know, so this is the Messiah. Do we still have that sort of spirit within ourselves to go out there and still do that? Yeah. Okay, do we perhaps have that gratitude that, that propelled her back into the village to tell what, what had happened, yeah? Uh, I think the message that came across to you was like, keep it simple. Keep it simple? It's not, 
it's not complicated. When as he said, that just have a you know, I can't remember his precise word, but essentially walk humbly, have faith in the heart. Um, you know, that we have a worship everywhere. But he, he's calling us to have a relationship with him that is not separated through legalism or through anything else. And I, I think that well that that's certainly what inspired the woman when she said, Do you promise what you said? And he said, I promise that you can have that personal relationship with me. Yeah. That which inspired her to go down and share her faith. Yeah. It's very powerful. Good. Anything else? Standing out? We're learning for ourselves. I can offer you a couple of thoughts. My testimony and your testimony might be the most powerful thing we have in helping other people come to meet Jesus. Our testimony, the story of what Jesus did in your life. Sometimes we think we have to have the right words or we're talking to other people about Jesus or we want to invite people to an event like a church service. We want the right words or we, you know, we want the right moment and the occasion. But I don't know, the woman here, and I'm not saying this is a model for every kind of type of evangelism. I don't mean that. But there's something in her where it's just she wants to tell the story. And her story is so powerful that later on in the chapter, the whole village comes out. I mean, it's not a few people. The whole town, actually, it's a town. The whole town comes out to meet Jesus. Our testimony is more powerful than we might think. And I think this is important because my testimony is a little bit boring to me. Because I've lived with it for 40 years. And I've told it a hundred times, right? I mean, like it's familiar. And the familiar, we can lose the sense of significance. And your testimony might not seem that big a deal to you. Especially if you've heard somebody else's testimony and it was more spectacular than yours. Right? It's really annoying when someone has a more amazing testimony. But anyway... Your testimony is amazing to you. God did something amazing in you. And don't underestimate how just telling somebody how you became a Christian or how God came into your life, that he won't have a powerful effect on somebody. I think it's really important. Parents need to tell their kids. We need to tell our kids how we became a Christian. Like not just the technical side, but what was going on in our hearts, our feelings, our sins. I mean, pick the right age to tell particular sins to your children. I mean, there's an age, right? Of particular sins. But, but don't, let's not shy away from telling people the truth, just like the woman did. I think it's something very powerful about remembering that. I think a second lesson is to remember that sometimes the most unlikely people are going to be the most open to Jesus. She was the last person in that situation you'd think, or most people would think, Jesus would have an impact on, but sometimes the most unlikely people, as I'm looking out uh, here, and maybe online too, as I'm looking at them here, I see some fairly um, <clears throat> unlikely people. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I don't know, maybe you think I'm unlikely. I don't know, maybe we're all unlikely in one sense, right? The most unlikely people, which means we should not write anyone off. Our older family members, our, our grown-up children, our neighbors who just seem to worship Satan, it appears. I don't know what's going on around you, but well, we don't have any like that. But it just really, we, we do not know how Jesus might have an impact on their lives. Jesus wants everybody in, uh, in his kingdom. Um, just to, uh... no, I'm going I'm to skip that. It's a great fun song. I love this song, right? This is completely, I'm going to Oh, Jesus, I want to be a water, 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 water,
not water, water. Uh, he gave up water, but it was living water, right? This water will well up to eternal life. You know, there's something about being in Christ that is fundamentally, consistently refreshing. We go through periods of desert and wilderness at times, but, you know, just speaking personally for a minute, this is a very important day to me today. Uh, the uh, 25th of February is the third anniversary of the day my mother was buried. Uh, three years ago, I was in Kent with my family, uh, burying my mother. I know the Owen family have had that same kind of experience just very recently. Um, I shall ring my father later and my sister and catch up with them. They'll be going to the graveside today in, in Kent. And um, there are lots of things, of course, that brings up whenever we talk about losing someone we love. But I just want to say, in, in terms of us here in this congregation, um, that time was a time when I felt the compassion of Christ coming through you. I felt so much support from the church here, so much compassion, so much understanding, so much help. Um, I, don't, I don't know all of what was going on in my mind and heart at that time. It was such a confusing time of feelings. And for two or three weeks, I think I was kind of, I don't know, out there somewhere, you know? And, and two things happened. And one was people here stepped up and just carried on and got stuff done. You know, it was during COVID, so we weren't meeting in the building here. But all just people got on with it and said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. I, I was so grateful for that, for not having to be concerned about any of that. And then secondly, there was so much support. There was the cards, there was the phone calls and the messages and the, and the prayers. And I felt, you know, it's funny, now and again, I'm... Now and again, I believe I can tell when someone's praying for me. I don't know what it is. There's time, but I just sense that. And I felt that so much during that time. And I, just, I wanted to say on a special occasion, like this is occasion, just a thank you to all of you here and, and online, because it's times like that when you know you're in the right place. You're with the right people. People who care like Jesus uh, did. You know, when Penny and I moved to Watford or Croxley, but, you know, this area... In 2013, wasn't it? So 11 years ago, we needed a new start ourselves. And this is ancient history for some of us here, and some of you won't know, but it doesn't matter. But just, we needed a new start. We were in a situation where we were spiritually troubled and kind of flat, and I might say spiritually depressed if such a thing exists, I don't know. But there was that sense of depression and, and trauma, really. Spiritual trauma, maybe. And we needed a new start. And we moved up to Croxley and joined what was then the Watford Family Group. Little group that met in well, your place quite a bit of the time. Danny and Becky, you were leading it at the time. You guys and the Olivier's and Barry and Kate and, uh, and, and uh, Leon and Sarah, you were part of that group at that time and, and a number of others. And it was such a breath of fresh air where we felt the presence of Jesus in the group. And I, we could be safe here. Safe in that spiritual sense of we're cared for by the love of Jesus. That was 11 years ago. And we had a new start. Yeah. And it was the love of Jesus. And, and in another way, West Watford, you know, worshipping together for the last two, nearly two, over two years now, two and a bit years, West Watford needed a fresh start, right? And it refreshed us too, I think, to, to worship together. We've seen that in the last little while. Some of you here have joined us over the last few years in one way or another. And perhaps you've had a fresh start. Nana has had a fresh start in the waters of baptism. 
David's had a fresh start in the waters of baptism. Uh, Juliet and Eliana joining us along with you. That's a fresh start. The Owen family joining us not so long back. You know, that's kind of a, a fresh start too in, in its own way, right? And I'm looking around Christopher Maestro, uh, Christopher, you know, a, a fresh start in a, in a, in a way, right? And, and those of you who moved from Hong Kong, right? A, a fresh start for you or from other parts and join us like Victor and his family. And I'm just looking around. I mean, I'm going to miss somebody out in a minute, aren't I? I'm sorry if I, if I do. And, and Stefan and Lisa joining us. A fresh start. I can impact. Yes. And, and Steve. And, I, and I, it, there are, as I look around the room and online, I know you're there. Just so many fresh starts that God has given us. It's important to be grateful for that. And don't forget, it's really about Jesus. And we're considering new, fresh starts for this church as well, as you know. You know, along with this uh, living water that Jesus talks about there, the water in him welling up to eternal life, we see then in John 19 that when the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, it brought out a sudden flow of blood and water. I think symbolizing birth, blood and water in the act of birth, this water that gives us new life. And that's why we take bread and wine each week. And we're going to do that in a moment. When we take some of that bread and some of that wine to remind us that we'll be giving the bread of life and the water of eternal life in that, in that wine symbolized that new covenant, that new life. And that we can always have a fresh start. And if Jesus has been tickling your mind through this lesson today, and you know you need a fresh start, then trust that Jesus is there to give it to you. And he's happy to welcome you so that you can have that fresh start.